Welcome to the Taco Tuesday Mailbag. And before anybody asks, I have no idea if legally we can use that name. I think now it's been released. The patent on it was defeated in court, but I could be wrong. So nobody report us to the patent office for borrowing it. We moved the mailbag to Tuesday for one reason, really, and that's to frame the mailbag as looking ahead more. It has the final word on what happened in the past, since people will ask about things from the previous game. But a lot of the questions look ahead, so it's a good jump-off point to the rest of our week. Now, as I mentioned, these will largely be solo recordings. I'll do some uh, Kendall, Jack, and Joe, Chris, and Reed will all do some as well. But this week, it's me making handling the mailbag. We had a few questions from you guys, and I'll give a few brief answers. Now, the first question, and really all the questions were about football, but the first question was one we saw a couple of, and I'm only going to address it the one time, which is, is Tyler Shuck on a short leash in Morgantown? And the, the, the answer is no. Uh, this is something we talked a bit about on the pod, that he needs a short leash, that you should be prepared to go to Baron Morton. But the staff has kind of made clear that they're not really interested in changing quarterbacks at the moment. And putting a guy in like Morton Rusty without giving him a lot of one reps, because I guarantee you Shuck's seeing all the one reps right now in practice, is just not a great recipe for his success or this team's. You make you, you made the bed, you got to lie in it. So I don't imagine the staff will be like, oh, he had a quarter of what we've seen all year, time to make a change. Unless this thing gets ugly one way or the other, I would be surprised to see Baron Morton play. Should Shuck have a leash? This was kind of how we were asked. I think absolutely, but I, I, I don't believe he's actually going to. He, he's going to have full command of the offense. It's going to be his show, regardless of what we all think, regardless of what the stats say, regardless of what the eyes say in the film and all that jazz. The staff is maybe playing favorites here. I, I don't really know, but Tyler Shuck will be your starting quarterback in Morgantown and expect him to play the entire game, even if he is not playing particularly well. Now, the next question was about the offensive line. Um, I think this is a great question and one that I really, really bears thinking about, which is how much of the issues with the offensive line are related to the actual offensive line? How many issues are related to the quarterback? We got a whole mess of questions about the quarterback. These are the only two I'm going to answer about it. Number one being because we, we've been beaten up on QB 12 all week. Um, everyone has. And I'm not saying that's not justifiable, by the way. As fans, you should be allowed to complain when someone's not playing well. There's a line. He's a college student. Be you know, be cognizant of that, but it's fair to say he's not holding up his end of the bargain right now. Now, but it isn't fair to criticize him and not anybody else. The offensive line is a mixed bag. I think, you know, against the better competition you play, they've struggled. They've struggled to protect Shuck at times, and they've struggled to produce consistent push in the run. Some of that's schematic. I think Kitley's gotten away from some of the run scheme that was ineffective early in the year, and he's allowing the offensive line to get more downhill and get um, some push. And in protection, I thought, against an FCS opponent in particular, they were did an extremely good job of protecting Shuck. Uh, there was a stat actually that came out today, and that this stat is a bit misleading because it doesn't take into account creativity of quarterbacks escaping pressures, blah, blah, blah. But the stat was basically called like self-inflicted wounds, which are when a quarterback holds the ball too long and therefore pressure is generated. And Shuck is one of the top four or five quarterbacks in the nation in this stat. He does hold the ball way the hell too long. But is that entirely his fault? We don't see the uh, All-22 view that coaches use because the broadcast just isn't really capable of delivering that outside of like the national title where they've got all those different views for us to look at. So it's hard to say for certain that the issue is entirely shucks. But 
based on talking to people who've been at games, it does not sound to me that in a lot of these situations, there's just nobody open. I don't really buy that. I think he is holding the ball too long. But there are plenty of times where I've seen offensive linemen just get whooped. The, the tackles in particular, Caleb Rogers, and Monroe Mills, have struggled. Monroe Mills of late has been easily your worst offensive lineman. But there's also been pressure coming up the middle between the guards and the centers too. So Shuck has to do a much better job making decisions quickly, getting the ball out of his hand. But the offensive line is not necessarily playing phenomenal football either. It, the, from this perspective, there's blame to go all around. I tend to blame the quarterback for, you know, when he's got a seven-second pocket and then takes a sack. Because even if the receivers are covered downfield, you've got to make a decision either to scramble or throw it away. And way too often, Shuck makes the wrong one. Um, so like I said, that's the last question I was going to answer about the quarterback that we did get a few. This next question is on the defensive side of the ball. Injuries are piling up. Is it time to start to be worried about depth? Yes. I mean, you should be worried about depth. However, the young guys have played very, very, very well. Guys like Brennan Jordan have been, and Ben Roberts have been really, they breathed some fresh air into these positions that are very thin, um, you know, and in which you're you're leaning on especially now more than ever with injuries starting to pile up, especially Ben Roberts at linebacker. Um, you know, these are guys that maybe you wouldn't want to necessarily play quite as much quite yet, but you need them. You just need them in the rotation. And you're going to continue to see more and more names that you're not expecting because the group is just thin now. It just is. And depth is a concern. Um, thankfully, knock on all the wood around you that you can. I'm knocking on fake wood, but I don't believe we've lost a true corner yet. So that is something to keep an eye on because Rashad Williams and Malik Dunlap have kind of anchored your, your secondary by staying healthy and being great in coverage. And uh, you're getting Tyler Owens back in the back end as well. So that'll help ease some of the burden in the secondary. But the linebacker group's thin and getting thinner, you know. Um, and you're going to have to continue to hope that young talent can play well and guys are going to play a lot of minutes and you have to keep hold, hoping that they hold up. We knew going into the year that group was thin. They're thinner than ever. Uh, it, it, it is a bad problem to have, but it is a good problem to have young guys getting minutes. Um, that, that, that's kind of the catch is for the future. I think it's a good thing, but you know, in that short term, damn, it, it, it will hurt you in games. It's going to hurt you late in games. There are going to be some moments, um, hope so far so good, but you know, last week was obviously an easy opponent to deal with. So we're going to get a, a test by backup quarterback, most likely at West Virginia. And we'll see a bit more about how this depth is holding up. Um, this next question, Joe McGuire has always been an aggressive coach. Do you think that he's too aggressive? Now, I was kind of surprised to get this one, honestly. Um, the reason being is that last year, the fourth down conversion rate, I think, was good enough that a lot of people weren't really noticing it. But the Oregon game had that really big decision go the other way. And I, I, I don't think it's been the only one. I think we're we're, we're doing okay, more or less, in, in the win rate in these situations. But that decision, I think, kind of shook everybody up. And with a big, big 12 game ahead, people are expecting us to have to be more aggressive. So I understand that completely that now it comes up. But I was a little surprised. Um, the answer is, I, he probably is a little bit too aggressive with the four down calls. I thought the one he called in Oregon was way over the top. Um, there's being confident and there's being foolish. You know, I'm the kind of guy who I never punt in like Madden or NCA 14. And hopefully I, when the new game comes out, I'll never punt that one either. Um, but you know, there's that a video game. And then there's the fact we pay Joey McGuire an incredible amount of money to coach real football. I like being aggressive. I think there's nothing wrong with being bold, being, uh, a, a challenging a defense, and trusting that your defense, if called on, can get stops. You're a good defensive football team. You've done a good job in those situations last year. 
But I would like, you know, if you're on your side of the 50, to be a little bit more cognizant of how the game is flowing and make those decisions and not sell out quite as much as we do to get those first downs and accept that you got a great punter and your defense is playing very, very well this year compared to a lot of the previous years in particular. So trust them to be able to hold up against long drives. They're not always going to do it. Oregon demonstrated that you can drive on this team if you're an efficient quarterback with a with a um, good decision-making and uh, good pass protection. But, you know, they'll hold up more often than not. So it should be okay to punt. So finding that balance is a trick for a head coach. It just is. But I think Joey McGuire is still learning that side of it, and we'll see as the season develops how aggressive he continues to be. Next question is about Tim DeRuiter. There's a question about how can Tim DeRuiter help this team generate more pass rush? The blitzing doesn't seem to be doing too much to help, and it seems to be exposing us a bit on the edge and with quarterback scrambles. Yeah, I mean, it is. I, I talked about this at length when I did an interview with the Oregon um, folks that addicted to quack. And um, yeah, I mean, it is just Tim DeRuiter's MO. He likes exotic blitz packages, and he's not particularly big in spying quarterbacks or prioritizing keeping contained. The issue, of course, being is that right now your your edge rush is just not holding up its end of the bargain. It was great to see Miles Cole get involved. You know, that's a new position for him. So it was great to finally see him as an impact player in that role. But it it you need more from Steve Linton. I think Joe McGuire said it. We talked about this yesterday in the podcast. But the blitz scene and all that, the reason why you have to keep doing it is because you can't you're not getting home with these with your pass rush. You know, I think that the middle of the defensive line is doing a good job getting pushed and holding up against run, as is the rest of the defense. But you're struggling to make plays in the backfield. When they have quarterbacks dead to right, they're they're not finishing. And Steve Linton's a key factor in that. You know, he needs to have his name called. I don't think he recorded a stat against the FCS team at Tarleton State. So, you know, if he's finishing, then you can back off a little bit on blitzes. But if he's not able to do it, if Miles Cole's not making an impact, Hutchinson and Bradford aren't getting home, you're going to have to keep being extremely aggressive, which does leave you vulnerable to what you know Bo Nix and that Wyoming kid did, which was they break contain and pick up 7 to 10 yards, and then the drive continues. And those are back-breaking moments in games. They just are back-breaking moments in games. So we hope to see more from Steve Linton and Miles Cole and the entire defensive line. The pass rush has to be better, and that'll allow you to – prioritize more contain but it is something else to note is that you kind of you know you're kind of living with this this is tim deruder he wants them to have their head hunting the football he wants them to be worried more about the sack than keeping contain he wants them to be aggressive so you're you're going to live with that mentality a lot of the time it will lead to busts it will lead to mistakes but it's the trade-off is not being aggressive at all i'll take what we got a couple more questions left here this next one is about Excuse me. This next one is about how can Taj Brooks get more involved in the ground game than he is with limited catches, uh, limited touches. I think what the question is getting at is how can Tech best maximize Taj Brooks. Um, so I'm going to answer that question. So Taj Brooks is right now being underutilized. We all know it. And against the FCS team, you kind of saw what can happen if you really turn him loose. But the answer to the question is how can Tex maximize him is to put him in the best situation to succeed. You know, I talked about this a lot this year that the, the run scheme that Kitley favored a lot in Wyoming and uh, 
previous season just wasn't effective. And I think against Oregon and against the FCS opponent, you saw a run scheme that more favors what Taj Brooks should do. They need, the plays need to develop quicker. He needs to get downhill. He needs to be allowed to make decisive reads. If you allow him to do those things, maybe you're not giving him the touches he needs, but if you're giving him 15 to 20 with that kind of scheme, he's going to be successful and pick up key yardage. And that's all you want. That's all you want. You just want four and a half a carry with an occasional home run ball, and he's more than capable of doing that if you put him in the position, and really the offensive line in a position to capitalize on it. Uh, two more here to go. This next one is about the receiving group. Has there been any names not called that have surprised you? And if so, who would you like to see get more minutes? I, I'm surprised we haven't seen more J.J. Sparkman. Um, I'm really shocked we haven't seen more J.J. Sparkman. I really thought he was going to be a guy to get involved more in this offense. I think he's been targeted once or twice this year, and I believe against uh, Tarleton he was only targeted on a screen. So I, I don't know what the deal is, but I, I, I don't think he's getting minutes, and I think he should get minutes. I think he is a great receiver, and he has the potential to be a really great receiver with time and experience. Another name that I think needs to get called more is uh, 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 Fungi. Um, you know, he almost lost the starting job, but he's been your starter now. And I really, he, he just really isn't making a name for himself on the field. And I don't know if it's because it's, he's just not running great routes or what the situation is, but he's playing pretty, plenty of touches. He's just not really getting targets. So I'm curious to see what the deal is and if we can get him more involved. <clears throat> Sorry about that folks. Um, but the other guys, I, I always think that you can't have enough Xavier White. Um, Miles Price and him kind of do similar things, so they're going to split kind of touches and, and minutes, but I, I always think you can't have enough Xavier White. I really like him as a player. Him and Miles Price are a lot of fun to watch with the ball. So those are the names, but Sparkman's the big one. I've been pretty surprised that Sparkman has not seen more minutes, especially considering kind of the anemic passing attack. I've been surprised he's not getting looks to try to open up the offense a little bit more. Um, you know, he he's a guy I think has great potential to be a top route runner on this team. So, you know, very, very shocking in that regard. But you are getting back, just as a rep for record, Koi Eakin, who was the guy who really pushed Fungi in the camp um, for the job. He's back for uh, West Virginia, most likely, I believe, is the latest update. So you get him back, that'll help you immensely. And, of course, I never think you can throw to the tight ends enough, but, you know, Baylor Cup being out, it, it's been good to see Mason Tharp getting more involved, but I never think you can do enough of that. Last question of the day talks about the game day atmosphere. This is a question that I think is kind of uh, uh, just in general based on what happened at Colorado, but I'm glad somebody asked it because it's a fun topic to talk about, which is just what's your thoughts on rushing the field for opponents who probably don't deserve it? Um, I think it's fine. I thought it was a little weird. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think it's a little weird to rush the field all the time. But I, why I know this is about Colorado is I tweeted about this and we had a little bit of a conversation about this. Um, I think it's a bit odd. I, I, I want students to have fun, though. So I'm not going to be one of those people who's like, oh, this is bad or act like you've been there. I'm more just kind of like, really? You know, you were a 20-point favorite, a little self-awareness. But at the end of the day, students aren't caring about that. They're just looking to have fun. So am I the biggest fan of it? Probably not. Do I think it's the end of the world for students to celebrate a win and being relevant as a football program again? Absolutely not. I never got to rush the field when I was at Tech. You know, I was in the middle of the Kingsbury era, so there are a lot of almost big wins. You know, I was there for that TCU game or the Oklahoma with Baker Mayfield battle. Um, 
but I never got to do it. So I, I'm not going to try to take away from anybody else's college experience by telling them like, ah, you know, you shouldn't do that. As long as everybody's safe and having a good time, it's okay to, with me. I, I think programs should expect to win more than maybe Colorado does at the moment. You know, I think fans are not. I, I think there was a quote during the game from that one talking about the students were like, we don't know how to act. We've never had this before. I think you, you, you can rationalize how you should act in these situations, even if you've never really experienced a team this good. But, you know, again, it's about fun. It's about fun. It's a game. As long as nobody's hurting players and nobody's, you know, getting in the face of somebody who's just trying to get off the field, uh, I, I don't really care if they if they want to rush the field every game. Maybe that'll be their new tradition. Maybe it'll be like, you know, uh, Texas Tech kind of did for basketball under Chris Beard where the students always come down on the court. It, it could be fun. If you manage it the right way, it cannot be safe fun. Um, I don't like the Colorado stuff and it has nothing to do with that or really the kind of the attitude. It's I don't like that. We're talking so much about Dion. I think a coach is making it too much about himself. That's my concern. I have nothing, nothing at all against from wanting to bring like swag and an attitude and this, this kind of big man on campus energy that the, he's coached into his team. That's all fantastic to me, but I'd rather hear about what his kids are doing and what Travis Hunter's saying than the media's continued obsession with the fact that like Dion sold more sunglasses after Norvell made a comment and Dion makes it personal. Like let's, let's, let's let the kids have their moment and the coaches, you know, Obviously, I, I they feed off of him, so I get it. But I'd be fine, you know, with the kids being the ones doing the talking and Dion being more in the shadows. But you know, it's great to have Colorado kind of back and relevant. Do I think they're actually good? No, I think Colorado State exposed that team in a massive way. Uh, that's not a particularly good football team, but it, it, it's not a bad football team anymore. And give it one to two years, maybe three, and they'll be a legitimately good to great football team again, just in time to help out the Big 12 um, as we get into the swing of the next round of, uh, of realignment heading our way, uh, that being the ones that the next four coming in. So all in all, the recap, rush the field as much as you want. Just be safe about it. Do I think it's a little weird? Yeah, but just have fun. It's a game. Alrighty, folks, this was a solo pod and talking for this long is always difficult. Um, but thank you guys for the questions. Like, subscribe, follow, whatever it is on whatever major platform you read. Or you, <laughs> you listen to our podcast. God, I shouldn't talk this long. Um, and let us know what you think. Even when it's not a mailbag day, you can always shoot us a question, a comment, or uh, uh, you, know, you can reach out to any of us on our personal accounts if you want to. Just let us know how we're doing. We love to hear from you guys. Wreck them and enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with more great content getting ready for the battle in Morgantown.